0: Welcome back to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I'm excited to be sharing with you this second episode in the new season, Institutional Exodus. This is part two in the conversation with my friend Malik. So if you've not listened to part one, you may want to jump back and listen to part one before listening to part two. But hey, who am I to tell you what to do? If you want to jump in at part two, you be my guest and go ahead and just keep listening. Uh, I do just want to thank a few of you for reaching out to me over the past week been really cool just to hear how last episode uh, impacted you I also had some really unique conversations too uh, but mostly good conversations and one friend called me in particular and he said I've not heard anybody be that vulnerable in years so that was super encouraging Uh, something else that some people asked me about is how can I get involved with what you're doing and I thought about launching this and I decided not to but now I decided to after some people been asking me and that is a patreon So if you would like to support us financially, patreon.com slash spiritualnomad, you can do that. I just set up just the low threshold of $7 a month. It's called the Nomadic Alliance. So you can do that $7 a month or certainly more if you would like, uh, you know, $20, $100. I don't know, whatever you would like to do, uh, because this is so much more than just a podcast. We have a lot of stuff in the works, a lot of things coming up. And that is going to continue to help us to have conversations. As a matter of fact, we're going to actually physically do some gatherings for conversation. So more of that to come if you are in the San Diego area. Really excited. Some things we're doing in September 2017, uh, actually starting Oceanside. So a little plug for that. Uh, We'll be talking about that more in the future. But I, I just really wanted to give that option for you patreon.com slash spiritualnomad. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so all of the links to that will be in the show notes below. So without further ado, let's get into the second part of the conversation with my friend
1: Malik. It's great. What was, what was I saying before? I forgot where I was at. Uh, about
0: elements that influenced your uh, oh, okay. institutional exodus. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So what happened was I started seeing, I, what, I, what I didn't want to happen is to for me to sacrifice my relationship for my job, right? Yeah. Relationships with people. So what happened was there was just a lot of conflict of interest. Like how do I, so here I am thinking about stepping down from the church. Um, and so I want to go to like a spiritual father to ask for advice, but he's also my boss Mm. (laughs) who I'm about to quit in front of similar, Um, dude. My, my dad was my pastor and boss too. So, so it, 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 exactly. And so what happens is without going into detail, there's a lot of things that happen in, in in that whole exodus of a lot of us actually at the same time is that what happens is you don't really know who to trust and you want to separate the two. You want to go, all right? Hey, what do I do about this? But you also know, can you really trust the answer? Because you're actually my boss, and you don't want me to leave. So why would I ask you? So that happened, and then other relational things are like a lot of things where putting putting strain on actual friendship. You know, um, putting work and reputation before a relationship, where I just got really, really scared, and I didn't. I didn't want to lose my family. You know? Yeah. And so that was a part of me was like I just need to remove myself from this environment so that I can maybe save a relationship because I know how churches end. I know. I've been a part of churches that blew up, no one ever talks to each other ever again and it's dead, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um and I didn't and I didn't want that to happen. And then at the same time I'm grieving my parents' the loss of my parents. And I'm kind of like exploding internally imploding, you know, um, not able to function healthily as a someone who is um, supposed to be a quote example Um, and so I'm doing things that are very risky um, in the church world I'm doing things that are uh, you know not going to do well with you know just morally too you know so which is another problem I have is like I, I never really felt like I was qualified to be a pastor because of all my brokenness and weakness you know cuz what is it? What, what, what where is it in the Bible that talks about the qualifications? It's like you must be above reproach and yeah. blah blah blah. Timothy I, and Okay, uh, Titus. then I'm not supposed to be a pastor. Yeah. By that exa- so explain that to me, Luke, because I feel like everyone I ch- tell that to like they go, "Oh, were you ever going to be a pastor again?" I'm like, "Not until I'm qualified to be." Like, what do you mean? Well, look at the scripture. I'm not I don't have self-control. <laughs> I don't I am not above reproach. Um I'm not of one of one. I'm not a man of one wife. I don't have any wives. So there's all these things where I go, I'm not qualified to do this thing. So help me out. Is there a context of that scripture that, I, that I'm overlooking? <laughs> I, I mean, kind of. Yeah. And okay. here's the thing. I would take,
0: and this is where I would make a broad stroke. So I think Paul definitely wrote good stuff. It's you know helpful for building us and everything of that nature. But you're absolutely qualified. You've never been disqualified and you've never stopped doing it. That's the thing, like as much as you wanted to stop, you have not stopped being what a pastor really is. You may have left a building, you may have left a job, you may have left some benefits, you know, and some prestige in the Christian world, which the rest of the world doesn't even really care about. But you've never stopped being a pastor. You haven't,
1: haven't, haven't had any conversions, though, Luke. I haven't but had any. That's the thing.
0: <laughs> Technically, neither did Jesus. Jesus he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And in the vineyard we we have we have a definite uh paradigm that we see that term through. But really this kingdom of God that he preached about, because we talk about I remember, matter of fact, me, you, my friend Aaron that's down here in mm-hmm. La Mesa, I and love our Aaron. friend he Cody. Aaron's awesome, dude. Public Square Coffee is doing killer too that's another topic but we all were sitting around at a vineyard conference two years ago and my friend Cody that's here in Oceanside said Luke what is the gospel or he asked you first (laughs) yeah Yeah. and Malik's like scrambling you know and I get it in my head I know I'm about to kill it he's there's no way he can tell me I'm wrong and I'm like he died in my place for my sins and all this stuff he and he just said that's not the gospel And I was like, damn. Well, that's great. I would say that was the spark of everything that I have built, every brick that I had put in place being slowly but surely brought back down. That was probably the beginning of it all, was that conversation that night. And I would say the thing is, Jesus came to embrace people where they are and to realize that the Spirit of God is already in them. He came to. Bring awareness to make alive to give access to the spirit That's already within them that they already are able to connect to God because who they are What happens is we see church history come about and we see a lot of Greek Influence and a lot of Hellenistic influence in Paul's teaching and we we begin to create a new sort of uh, Dynamic of the Christian faith And we make it a conversion base. But even when Paul was talking about conversions or when he was saying, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Mm -hmm. a lot of that terminology we now process through 2017. But even a better word for believe, how that word was, I won't nerd out too much here. I already know. But (laughs) believe is technically the word trust. That trust is a better translation of that word. Okay. And so what he's saying is, is he's saying if you trust who, who, the pattern, if you live in the Christ way, if you live in this way that Jesus of Nazareth lived, you're going to trust that you are already one with God, and mm-hmm. you're going to begin to live out of that already connectedness with the divine. Heaven. Does that make sense? So it's not about getting yeah, people I to make a that. statement. I love that. so it's faith. not. It's
1: not. Okay. It's about them saying? already. Except it's about them trusting that it's already been done. Right. It's but it's okay. About- I love that, bro. I, it's so freeing to hear that. But so there's so there, There's a part of me that goes, yeah. But I got to do something, bro. Of course, you. you I got to feel something. like you have to do
0: something. That's our human nature. We want. I got to do something. We have to. <laughs> we have to. We have to because each and every one of us want to be our own gods, and we all want to have absolute control of our life but ends up we always end up ruining it and that's what you are saved from when he says you are saved you are saved from yourself you don't have to be who you think or say or control or dictate who you are you are saved from you that's the reality you're not saved from necessarily a hell or any of that I don't believe necessarily in that anymore I'm saying hey okay, Rob Bell, Rob, dude Bell over here. Okay. I'm, playing, I'm playing. <laughs>
1: Right, right? No. Uh, well I, 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 I wanna stop you there. What would you tell what would you tell yourself three years ago if you heard yourselves talk right now? Would it say, be bizarre?
0: I would say Luke's a heretic. <laughs> Luke's a heretic and he's 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 absolutely freaking lost his way. No, oh, I'm playing. God. Here's the no. thing. Hell fine. That's another conversation. I don't believe in a conscious torment for eternity. Whatever. I think that's ridiculous. However, uh, I don't know exactly where i, I I'm out with all that That's a fun another conversation for another season. But I think as far as what the institution is, I think the vineyard does have it right that the kingdom of God is central. But I think the definition of that has been reduced a little bit. And I love this dude, Richard Rohr. He says, another way of saying the kingdom of God is saying ultimate reality. Like, what is ultimate reality? Mm. An ultimate reality is living in accordance with God, as Jesus Jesus prays for his pe- for his people. He says, "God, as I am one with you, make them one with you," and He is inviting them into the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is the reality of being one with God. That's what it is. Oh,
1: man, that is that that is so freeing and. I think the reason why that is so hard to to really sit in and apply it is because of that conditioning that we that i feel like i've gotten of like i need i need that black and white yeah i, just need, you to, I need you to tell me i said the prayer i'm in or out right like i like there is so much fear because it's very i guess like this to have a lot of trust to really be able to just to go on a day-to-day basis, like, yeah, I trust and believe that God's already done it, and boom, right? Without feeling like, but now I need to go and love my neighbor because if I don't, you know, or I need to go and lay this sin down because if I don't. And so, so for example, when I was nine years old, I came to Jesus by running, I watched this Left Behind movie. (laughs) Are you serious? Dude. Dude, I'm dead serious. I was a badass kid. I was a bad kid. I got, I got I got kicked out of elementary school in New York, okay? And um, when I got, like, right before I got kicked out of school type thing, uh, it was Easter. They played this, they did this whole Easter play, and in the middle of it, they played, like, a scene from Left Behind. And it was sucking up people, like, this kid was eating, like, a bowl of spaghetti with his mom, and all of a sudden, his mom gets sucked up into the air. <laughs> and, and got raptured or whatever. God, and... it's so crazy. And I'm like, what though? And they're like, if you would like to come and give your life to Jesus, I, yo, I ran. I ran <laughs> up to the front, bro. Yo, I did cartwheels up to the front because I was afraid, right? Yeah. So the, the birth of my faith came from fear. Yes. And ever since then, I lived out of performance, do or die, um, pass or fail. And I am um, I'm reward driven. And I'm... I, I'm punish driven. So if I know I'm going to be punished for something, I will avoid it. And if I know I'm going to be rewarded for something, I'm going to go for it. Right. So, um, the birth of my faith and the existence of my faith has been out of fear. Um, and, and so now to, to, to reverse that. So, uh, a good friend of mine, Russ Johnson, uh, he's actually the, the guy who coordinates our Sunday night gatherings, um, um, uh, as some would call house church. But I just call him group of friends that drink wine and read the Bible and shit. <laughs> um, he kind of told me that he told me a story. He told me a story of a guy who um, created the backwards bicycle, and it was pretty much if you turn right, it goes left. If you know, um, if you go left, it goes right. And it said he. It was I think it was in a TED talk, and he said that it took him nine months. To learn how to ride this backwards bicycle because he had to literally rewire his his motor skills to do the opposite of what he always knew. Yeah. It took him nine months to do that. And he said it's kind of like that. But even on a bigger spectrum of faith is that you're trying to relearn how to ride a backwards bicycle. And so for me, as I'm trying to reprogram my pass or fail mentality, my do or die mentality, my my fear mentality of like, if I don't do this, God's going to kill me at any moment. And so in this season of life, I'm sort of doing that because I'm doing everything I knew I knew in my life I shouldn't do. I'm I, you know, everything I know, like my life right now is just a complete uh, a a complete middle finger to my old life, right? It's, there's no security. There's no black and white. It's all gray. And so in that, it's almost like I'm dispelling and disproving that fear for me of going, no, oh, so you're telling me this past two years of my life, I've lived as a spiritual nomad and God still loves me and hasn't struck me down with lightning and hasn't cursed my life. And what I'm saying
0: is, I think you're living. You have been living in a reaction to the other instead of living in that ultimate reality. That's what I'm saying.
1: Wow. So right now you're saying I'm I'm still in a reaction.
0: I think you're you're on the tapering end of a reaction state. That's what I'd say. Not that I'm like a, a you wow. know a psychiatrist to <laughs> you no, know saying. issue that I stuff you out.
1: Yo, I can't. I can't even hear a worship song without wanting to take it off. I mean, I'm still very much so. Uh, yeah. I'm still very much so like jaded and cynical and reactionary, hands down reactionary. I mean, no, I, I think you're completely right.
0: Yeah. And what I would say is, and this is what I always usually tell people, either it, no matter really what stage they're in, and you asked about Paul and his letters, and I don't want to devalue the Bible, but I, I, I do want to point out a few things about it. Uh, that we didn't get this canon until 330 years after Jesus' you know, apparent dis- uh, ascension. Not only that, we didn't get the first gospel in ten- until 10 years after Jesus had left the earth. It was verbal narrative. So I want to point out those things, which is, I, w- I would totally nerd out on that. But what I want to say is, is that if all you had were the four gospels, even with their I'm going to say flaws because there is flaws in the Bible, even with their inconsistency and their flaws. If you only had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's it. What sort of faith would you have? What would Jesus teach you about you, about him, about God? If you only had the gospels and even more importantly, the red letter words, what would it look like? (laughs) That's good. That's good. Because that's going to challenge a lot. I mean, the reason you feel disqualified is not by anything that the recorded words of Jesus said. It's extra. And here, if you want me to counter Rob Bell a little bit, I'll, I'll throw in some old school Mark Driscoll here. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of him that much anymore, but uh, not that it matters. I don't even know why I said that. It doesn't right. matter. Uh, uh-huh. He's good. He has good stuff. He doesn't have good stuff, just like everybody. But he says Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Mm. And if that's true, then we need to be looking at truly what yeah. the narr- what the Jesus narrative is, and let that inform us first.
1: Sure, sure.
0: You know. So yeah. my question is then for you is even more so going forward about the idea of this amazing um some people wouldn't think it's amazing more so shocking reality of literally people leaving the church in droves i mean and people would say me and you aren't helping that uh, <laughs> i just want to i just want to throw out i think it was so funny you posted a status on facebook and like you cussed or something i don't remember what you said and somebody i said something along the lines of like uh, but you were a youth pastor, you know, <laughs> sarcastically. And some dude commented, yeah. the most stale uh, thing in the world. <laughs> he just said,
1: not funny.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those are the people I'm talking about, man. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I, th- I remember that was like a – it was a quote from like Kend- one of my favorite rappers, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Uh, and, and the context of that, even that context of that line was so profound. It was literally about faith and – Oh no, no! It was about race. It, it was. Uh, do you mind if I curse in here? Is that? Is no, no, I don't that care. Get a thing. No. But, okay, he said, "Fuck your." He said, "Fuck your ethnicity," and that's what it was. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was really just about race. Doesn't matter. Like, it's all come together. And it was like, if he would have asked, like, "Hey, what does that mean?" It sounds kind of crazy i would have told him dude it's all about unity (laughs) but he didn't care he couldn't even see past the he couldn't see the meaning of what i was saying because he was so into the religiousness of i said a curse word yes oh my god reminds me of if
0: we're going to continue to be biblical the pharisees they couldn't see what jesus was saying because they couldn't see him past actually being the incarnate love that he was ah dude I mean that's that's the reality and so how do we and it's by us you being that that person on social media that's continued to you know be honest and open and genuine that's going to continue to change that but how do you see the the future playing out and panning out do you see people beginning to Embrace that and to beginning to work together towards this church Whatever that might be defined or do you see the chasm? Continuing to widen and get more broad between
1: us and them? I, I I would say I, I I'm gonna say three things I'd say One I'll start off with this before I even give my two cents on how I'll say one that I don't I'll say I'm, I'm in high I'm in high doubt that the church can be influential the way it was anymore in society. I just feel like uh, no one care. No one cares about like none of my friends are checking for church, right? At all, none of my non-Christian friends are really checking to to come on a Sunday morning. To it's just it's boring. It's irrelevant. It's it's like been there, done that. We're in a post-Christian. All my friends are post-Christian. Like oh, we're still. It's it's literally like. It's it's literally like if I'm asking my friends to 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 use a cassette tape. <laughs> Why would I do that? I wouldn't. I have my iPad. I have my iPod. I have my iPhone. What the heck? So I, I would say that before I give my answer, I'm in high doubt that that we can actually that have like influence. I know that sucks to say that on your podcast because that's what you're trying to do. No, it's not. I, I, this is what I'm talking about. Go ahead. Okay, so I, I I would say you need one to be a person who allows mystery to be a person who's not afraid to say I don't know. Yeah, is it is it possible to know and not know? Is it possible to go? I am a Christian. I hey uh, I am a Christian. I love God, I have a faith, but I also could be wrong. Is it it possible to hold your faith lightly in your hands? Why do we have to hold our faith with our hands crenched around what we're holding? Why can't we say, here's what I'm holding, and you know what, if the wind blows it off, then the wind blows it off. If you're able, if I'm able to sit down with an atheist, he's able to disprove my belief. Then good, because then my faith was never really real, yeah. right? Or it was never really strong enough. So I'm, I welcome doubt. I welcome, like, try to prove me wrong, try to deter me. I don't care. Like, it's fine. So, I would say be a person who welcomes uh, people who have doubts, right? Who who have those fears and and insecurities and blah, blah, whatever. Two, I would say, or three, whatever, whatever point I'm on, I would say create environments where people can have doubts and people can be free and people can have mystery. Why are we so scared to do that? Why Why do we have to create environments that are so solid and so, you know, four walls of Here's our four pillars of faith, and if you don't follow that, you can't exist within us. Right? Why why can't we create environments that go, Hey, here's what we believe, and if you wanna you wanna hang with us, and, and but we don't care if you believe it or not, and it's okay. I go to a Sunday night group where I I bring up all these things. These are these are God fearing, God loving people. They have families. They want their kids to grow up in the Christian faith. They want right all those things, but. They, also, they, they allow me to be my crazy, unknown, mysterious self every Sunday. Like, they'll say, Open up the Bible. I don't open up the Bible. You know, I'll go get more wine and chill. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, and I'll, But I, I'm, I'm allowed to hang out because I know that a part of me wants to believe these things, wants to accept these things. And I don't want to react anymore. I want to accept the reality and trust the reality that you're talking about. So they allow me to hold my faith lightly in my hand they're not intimidated they're not they're not scared of where I'm at they if, I think they have a deep down belief that if God is God then then it's okay with, to be if the leak is where he's at because yeah. obviously God's big enough to handle that so I think it comes with being a person that's confident enough to be a person that hangs around with people who have doubts and not try and convert and convert and change their mind and then two, be a part of or create environments that allow people like me or people even, you know, way more gray than me to, to exist. So I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, though. <laughs> and,
0: and that's where I'm at, you know, because I'm, I'm in the same place where you're at. And I'm all about trying to create that community. And, you know, right. whenever I church planting is about coming out and, you know, raising a flag and then getting to 50, 100 150 300 you know it, it's about all of that stuff and you know when people become products that's that's an issue as we talked about and so a value that i have and maybe you can affirm this or not or critique it whatever but uh, dialogue over dogma is kind of a Ooh. huge thing for me as well as um i think you said it and i think that's why i made note of it but it's about Uh, Progress over perfection.
1: Progress over perfection. Yeah. yeah. My friend Joey says, faith without mystery is dogma. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, what does it look like to create a lot of those things? So, even with me with church planting, I've given up the idea of just the the standard Ed Stetzer, Nelson Searcy, you know, have three preview services, do a launch Sunday, (laughs) and, you know, try to con people into volunteering on their only day off of the week. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I, that does have value. People will argue me on it. That's that's fine. But there is an obvious shift away from that mentality. And, right. You know, even here in San Diego. I mean, even whenever I was wanting to come here, a, a stat that I sold people on to support me, I mean, I, not really financially supporting me, I wish uh, that would change, but you know, yeah. prayerfully, some more, is that like less than 8% of people go to church in San Diego. So I'm like, not. we need to plant more churches. Right. But what I moved out here and realized is, instead of just coming out with my agenda, how can I open my ear to say, obviously something's not working here. Why am I going to come and try to do the same damn thing again and expect people to like it just because maybe I could be, you know, enthusiastic and charismatic? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it feels very multi-level marketing to me. Sometimes church planting does. Oh, that's beautiful. Because every person that I'm meeting, especially, I parachuted in here knowing like less than five people and they were all senior pastors. Obviously, they're not going to you know join with what i'm doing so it's like how did i come in here well i first came in viewing everybody as a project for how can they assimilate to me to get my thing going so eventually i can get a paycheck right but now i'm like working a normal nine to five well not quite nine to five but monday through friday boring job whatever and trying to cultivate and see what this is so in creating these spaces for dialogue over dogma, right. mm-hmm. what does that look like? And I know you're a, you're really knowledgeable in like creating brand and all of that stuff, right. which I think is a demise of the church, to be honest. Mm-hmm. How do you see those two coping together? How do you see those two? So like, a, yes, a couple things you said build that I really something. like
1: you said, you said uh, multi level marketing and made the comparison. It's like when you see anyone on social media who's selling like these powders or these patches, right? Like, Oh, you know, like, what do you do? You run away from them. You, you, you turn them into white noise because now you, you know, that they're trying to trick you. They're trying to con you. They're trying to, because why? Because the the value of their product isn't good enough. So they're going to actually sell you on selling it. Like multi-level marketing is about selling on you, selling on you, selling, right? Because the value of their product isn't necessarily the greatest thing. You don't have to, look, you don't have to sell something that's good. Right. Yeah. And and what I heard, I was reading this book on marketing. I love reading books about marketing and brands. He said, no long, it said, uh, Mar- uh, marketing is no longer what you tell the client it is. It's what clients tell the other client it is. Mm. Yeah. Well, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is no longer, your brand is no longer what you tell people it is. It is what other people tell other people yeah. it is. So you can sit there all day on your social media in a, in a coffee shop and go, here's what it is. Here's what Jesus is. Here's what here's what the church is. No, but they will listen to their friend who tell them their experience with church. They don't care what you have to say. You're a brand marketer. You're just trying to sell me on this because for whatever reason, we don't know. I don't trust you now. So for me, it's like, I want it to sell itself. Yeah. I don't need to sell anybody anything, right? As a DJ, um, I don't have to sell someone on why they should book me. I just have to find the right people who are looking for the quality of what I'm doing. I shouldn't have to sell someone on a $2,000 wedding that I have to do because they should. I should be able to find the right client or I should be able to inform them uh, they would be a good match to book me. I don't have to sell them. I need to educate them right i need to break down the misconceptions of why they don't want to book me and if at the end of our conversation i go i tell people all the time i'm i'm not what, what you're looking for i'm i'm too expensive for you because you're on a budget so you need to go find a budget wedding dj but here's what you <laughs> you, you do you need to go find someone who is cheaper but you're going to get less quality why because i want you to find the perfect match for yourself for your wedding Right. So for me, I ne- I'm never going to sell anyone. I'm never going to sell someone on something they don't need. So if for me, if somebody uh, seems like they're happy in life, right, <laughs> they're not, they don't need God. They don't, I, I, I tend not to want to, for me, is I'm, I never feel like I have to sell anyone on anything. I don't want to sell people on anything.
0: Yeah. So,
1: and so how do yeah. you see that
0: dovetailing with the future of the church? And, you know, obviously if spiritual community is still a, major component I have of, no idea I'm, I, I no idea I, I,
1: I think I, I would say that I think church will pro because our conversation about gray and mystery I think the church will look more gray and more mysterious than we've ever seen before I think a lot of I think in the future uh, we're not gonna know we're doing church mm. I think we'll just, I'll just I just think we'll be a part of things that are are functioning as church and where we you don't even really know it and it's gonna piss a lot of people off. Right. Like you think about like, I think what we're doing right now in church is Catholic. So you think about how how us as Protestant churches view Catholic churches. Right? We're like, oh, my God, that's so archaic. Right. Yeah. I think there will come a time where it will be a common knowledge that the way that we're doing church as evangelicals, as the way that we're, we've grown up in it will be Archaic as hell. It will be like going to a Catholic Church and standing up eight times and and walking up and getting communion every time and singing hymns I I think That's how it's already being viewed and that's how it will be. It will be common knowledge that uh, The vineyard or whatever whatever denomination and the way they're doing it. I think it will be archaic Hey, it already is (laughs) It It already is but I think People are still trying to fight it, but you don't see Catholic churches popping up anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, ca- Catholic churches are either dying or being revitalized. But no there's no, no one's ever going, <laughs> at least uh, come on now, I'm going to plant a Catholic church in the middle of San Diego. No yeah. one's doing that. So I, I feel like in the future, and I don't want to speak this into existence. This is how I feel. I think that people won't be planting those, these type of churches. People will just be, whatever it's going to look like, it will be very much so counter what they're doing right now. I totally agree. And what I want to end with
0: is this, you've planted your church. It's called the Curate Collective. That's what <laughs> it is. So you've planted your church and you you have your people and you already have your support network and you're figuring out what that looks like and you're, you're influencing people in their life and their spirituality and all of those things. So you're doing it, you know, it, it wow. just doesn't look like what you thought it looked like five years ago, you know, really? yeah. because that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. And I think oh, thank you, man. you're, ex- what yeah. you are saying is exactly, you're so ahead of the curve that you don't even know you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're ah. literally doing what you're saying. It really. You planted a church. It looks nothing like the institutional church, but you are the the hub of this thing that is spinning. And
1: well done. Mm.
0: And it's in progress.
1: Thank you, man. Uh, I I would never see it that way, but uh, now that you said it, now you know maybe I will. Uh, Because yeah, I think going back to even the first thing we were talking about about influence. Is is that's what I wanted? I, I I want to help people. I want people not to feel alone. I, I don't want people yeah. to feel isolated and afraid. And and if that's what planting a church looks like, in my, maybe I did. Maybe that's it's the biggest plot twist ever. That God's like, gotcha. You still did it. You know? I don't you know. You did. <laughs> and, and you're doing it. It's not done, and it never
0: will be. But you you are. And I think yeah. it's so funny that you said, people are gonna play at churches and it's gonna look so different, they're not even gonna know that they're doing it. And <laughs> you're doing it.
1: Plot twist, dude. Plot oh twist, you'll God. be thinking about
0: that. All right, so last thing, real yeah. quick, I gotta split out of here and uh, okay. get to my super boring job. But the last yeah, thing I, gotta I go wanna do,
1: man, it's uh. What time, yeah, it's probably super late where you're at. Yeah, it's 1.20 and this place closes at two, so let's go. All
0: right, all right, last thing. <laughs> Last and then right. I got to split because I got to get on my motorcycle and bounce. Okay. I watched Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. I, over. <laughs> I You posted about it. You did a live yeah. video, and I watched it. And <gasps> I was like, I have to watch it. So maybe I shouldn't say this to the public eye or whatever, but we got a fire stick, you know, and Lindsay's all about it. She, like, jail broke it and stuff. Yeah. So once a good version finally came on the Fire Stick, you know, whatever people can roast me for, for not paying for art, or whatever it doesn't matter. The point is I saw the movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and dude, one of the best movies I've ever seen in right? my life. It's <laughs> awesome. Man. It was, it was funny. It was witty. It, the the story was perfect. The plot was awesome. Everything about that movie. Yeah was straight fire and I understand that I will never understand it like you understand it I get sure, that. Sure, 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 sure. However, for the best that I can understand it, dude, it was, it was amazing. It was so good. So good. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know your two minute, one minute, maybe uh, just snapshot of why people need to watch Get Out to help inform them about the reality of the state of where we're at this is a way big conversation, yeah.
1: but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a good soundbite. Um, uh, I think overall the movie is great. It, it, it gives you um, aspects social a uh, social commentary on race in today and race and really in America in general. It lets you know um, it, obviously there's a lot of nuances to the jokes and some of those very very obvious things about black and white people, right? But I think deeper, in a deeper sense, the reason why I loved it so much was it b- because the, the word uh, white privilege has been a thing of the last two, three years that we've explored as a society. And I think that white privilege is one of the hardest things to wrap your head around because it, when you have it, you don't really know it, right? Yep. And, and so what I think they, what, what Jordan Peele wanted to do was show uh, pretty much that white people have colonized everything, in the western world they've always kind of things they've appropriated things whether it's uh, a neighborhood in brooklyn that would used to be called this but it's now called williamsburg or whether it's uh, uh molly cyrus or iggy azalea or taylor swift or whatever you know macklemore taking hip-hop music and and kind of doing what they want with it and then throwing it away but there's this thing that white people have like uh, systematic power privilege right money privilege um, uh, you get stopped by a cop or you get the benefit of the doubt um, but there's something called black privilege which you privilege by Charlemagne the God and, and what black privilege is right is what what privilege is is like what is my upper hand in society and so the movie is really just I think an allegory that uh, at the end of the day. White people want to take people, black people's privilege as well. Which in the movie is entertainment and athleticism, right? And at yeah. that cool factor. Because if I do have any upper hand over you, Luke, in America, it's the fact that I'm cooler than you. <laughs> you are, dude.
0: Every time I see you I, I, I on can, social I media, be, I'm like, yeah. this guy is so much better and cooler than I will ever ever
1: be. Yeah. And, it's not, it's, and that's my privilege because I haven't had to do anything to get it, right? I'm born, I, I mean, I think black people can make white people feel very uncool very quickly. Um, I think, you know, you can't dance, you can't rap, you know, it's like there's a lot <laughs> of things that you're lacking. And... But I could say that about, like, my power privilege. I don't really have a lot of power privilege when it comes to society. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have old money, right? Not that you're connected directly to old money, but the majority of a lot of middle America is connected to old money, right? Or think about how many black CEOs can you name? You can't really name any black CEOs, right? So there's a lot of privilege that we all have. I think there's Spanish privilege. There's Asian privilege, right? There's a lot of things that we don't have to do anything to get. So the movie really explores – it kind of makes you check your own privilege. It kind of makes you think about – white people and um how uh it 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 makes you check your privilege is really what i want to say it makes you think like wow i don't i need to be more sensitive and and maybe more self-aware of my own privilege and i think it's a it's a really good social thriller it it, it, in a funny way allows you to explore very very deep topics (laughs) so um so so I think that's my take. I think that's, that's my such, sound bite.
0: Such a, such a good flick that everybody needs yeah. to see and I'm guilty Absolutely. of it. I mean, I for so many years, I'm blind to it. I have to take ownership and action to yeah. see
1: that stuff. You know? Uh, it's not your so, fault. You pr- privilege, privilege is systematic. You don't, so like for me, uh, my privilege is, is is very invisible, right? So like, I haven't had to do it. Like, people are like, you're such a good dancer or whatever, whatever. You're charismatic. I don't do nothing. I was born that way, right? Like I didn't have to sit in my room and practice dancing I go to I just go out to a party and I just everyone's like looking to me to like make it fun and to dance right but like you know I haven't had to do anything to get that and it's not my fault that I have it it's not anyone else's fault that I have it it just is what it is and I need to be aware of it I need to be aware that other white people feel not as cool around me as they, they want to be <laughs> and I have to make them feel comfortable and you know it's just it is what it is and so with my privilege I'm aware of it yeah. I, I check it and I make sure that other people feel comfortable I try not to make fun of White people too much, you know. I have a friend of Phil who told me that he grew up in a school where black people made fun of him, and now he has resentment towards that, you know. So I'm aware of that, and I check my privilege around him. I go, I know you feel uncool around me, so I'm gonna try to make you feel as cool as you can be, you know. <laughs> that is yeah. so weird saying that, but
0: hey, dude, that's the reality, man. So I gotta get off here and head to yeah. uh, helping people with their pension benefits. But uh, <laughs> cool. you know, uh, let's Thanks keep in touch. On, All right, man, take it easy. We'll see you. Well, there it is, everyone, the full conversation with Malik. I hope you enjoyed that. I'd like to hear back some feedback. How did it resonate with you? Have some further conversation about it. Also, you might want to subscribe. We are continuing this series. So this is just the first conversation in the series Institutional Exodus. Next week, we will have Sherry Rosendahl. She is a blogger, uh, notyourwhitejesus.org. She also blogs for the Huffington Post. They share some of her stuff as well. We have a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, So like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. We are on Patreon now, patreon.com slash spiritualnomad and tune back in next week for the conversation with Sherry. Have a great week.